It can be a gift when we have some time and space to pause, to breathe, to be present in our bodies and pay attention to what we're feeling and what we really need. And we may not always have the luxury of that space as we move through life with all the other things that call for and maybe even demand our attention. fullness and busyness of our lives, we may not believe we have any attention left to give our bodies and our needs, or that the needs of our bodies may get in the way of other things that matter to us. Welcome to Soma-ing, the podcast that explores how and why the capacity to pay attention to the experience in our bodies actually really matters and can support anything and everything that's important to us. I'm Dr. Twyla Kovalenko, movement facilitator, dancer, somatic educator, and coach. And I invite you to join me as I interview some amazing humans who share personal stories of how being able to pay attention to the experience in their bodies has made a real difference in what matters to them and where they share simple and practical ways you can pay more attention to your body throughout your day-to-day and support what matters to you. So today on the show, I get to welcome Laura Friedman. And I know Laura um, first from dance. Um, and we've known each other for a number of years in dance. Um, Laura is a beautiful, passionate dancer. Um, And Laura was also one of the main uh, reasons why I joined a kickboxing gym um, a number of years ago that uh, was, was wonderful, just having that outlet, having that movement, having that community. So I don't know if I ever said thank you, um, but when I had gone to, to visit a local kickboxing gym, Laura was there and I kind of took it as a sign that I need this right now. And it was, it was great. Um, and so um, lately I've uh, seen uh, some of your sharing that you've posted on social media um, and some really powerful work that you've been doing. So I wanted to have a chance to interview you and hear more about your journey, how your connection to your body has supported you um, and invited you to join today. Well, thank you. I, I forgot about the kickboxing part. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you reminded me of it. We were both taking our anger out uh, on the punching bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Healthy, healthy outlets of mm-hmm. emotion, yeah. Yeah, I think that work really helped me just be a lot more solid and grounded in in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that, that kind of stuff. So is there anything else that you wanted to share with our audience about who you are? It's important to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I, I, I go by Laura Friedman, but sometimes people prefer Laura. Um, but I um, was born and raised in Colombia. And I came to Canada in 
2000, so almost 20 years ago, I had to leave uh, because of um, war and kidnapping threats. And it was just kind of a traumatic trip over here to Canada overnight suddenly. And I live here with my two kids. Uh, they're 10 and 12. And I work as a filmmaker. My films deal with themes around um, social justice themes, around gender equality and human rights and intergenerational trauma, um, epigenetics, healing, transformation. And so during the day, I'm kind of working on films and documentaries and TV series. And then by night, I uh, I weave, which is uh, something that I started to do. I've wanted to do all my life. And I started doing it when I got sick uh, exactly a year ago with trigeminal neuralgia. It was kind of the catalyst. And um, yeah, I love if I'm not working on films or with my children or weaving and with friends and family. Uh, if there are no COVID restrictions, you will find me on the ecstatic dance floor <laughs> where mm -hmm. I met you, Twyla, many years ago. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm really interested in this, um, you know, this experience that you had dealing with severe illness. And I also wanted to just open it up if that's, you know, when we're talking here about how the capacity to attend to your body, to be in your body, to pay attention to your body has made a difference in your life. Um, maybe I'll ask you, you know, what, what do you feel called to share, share with us in terms of one of the biggest impacts you see in an area uh, that really matters to you? Around, uh, you mean around, can you repeat around mm -hmm. the body and, um, so I would say that what I've discovered in the last year since I got sick has been extremely powerful. And so maybe I'll just share with you what it is that I got. So what I got was mm -hmm. something called trigeminal neuralgia, which is a very rare condition. I had never heard of it before. It mostly affects women in, uh, 50 and up. Um, I'm 39. So it was kind of rare that I got it. It also affects men, but it's usually later in life. And what it is, is when an artery and a, a nerve in your brain kind of compress and touch each other. And what that causes mm. is a, electrocuting, zapping um, shocks in your brain. And so the trigeminal nerve we have on both sides. And so for me, it was on the right side and everybody has it. It's, it's the three, the tri, the three nerves that come down mm -hmm. from your brain and they move kind of into your cheekbone and your eye and your mouth, your jaw, your teeth, your neck. And so it's a, you know, if you've been to the dentist and you've ever done any dental work and you have an exposed nerve and the dentist will touch it, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's even, I can't even describe it. It's from a pain. I, you know, I've, I've had two children, I've given birth twice and this was worse. So on a pain scale, it's like a 13, 14. Um, it's known as the most painful uh, condition to human, like to hum a human being. Um, it's actually, mm. unfortunately called the suicide disease because many people will not be able to handle the pain. And so what happens is there are different types of medicines and a lot of the medication is anti-epileptic medication um, mm -hmm. that will calm it, but then it has a lot of side effects, right? When I found, when I took that medication, it kind of turned me into a zombie. Um, other alternatives for healing are um, surgery, actual brain surgery. So they'll go in and cut your head open and go in and put a little pillow and decompress the nerve so that it doesn't stop. So um, 
but I always been very curious about holistic healing and alternative ways of yeah. achieving health and so this for me started very slowly I had like inklings of pain I, I thought I was having dental issues over a course of three months and then one one day literally a year ago this week um mm. I just got it was like uh, if you've ever watched superhero movies where a, a superhero will get attacked by a ray of light and you just hear them like yelling like ah you know and it's yeah. you watch them in pain it was like that um and so you know I took myself to the hospital nothing helped it was COVID nobody knew there was waiting lines like I didn't know what I had I was trying to get an MRI mm. is it a tumor what is it and eventually um it became clear that it was this rare thing and so what I've discovered I mean I've had a very long journey uh, mm -hmm. around that and um so i've uh, um i've always been interested in alternative ways of healing and not just through medicine but also through food and um for the last two years i've been doing a lot of uh, somatic work with a coach dr nima rahmani who has been teaching me a lot about mm. um nervous system regulation and polyvagal all based on polyvagal theory and inner child work and working on mm. trauma enmeshments and um, becoming trigger proof this concept of you know there's a trigger that happens and there are things mm -hmm. that happen to our nervous system and we are a, there there are ways to kind of master and really understand how our nervous system works and how to dance with it you know or how to mm -hmm. um so that we don't become completely at the effect of the nervous system but more that we understand what's happening and we kind of are able to maneuver through it um so I've been doing this somatic nervous system work for two years and um mm, so I don't you're doing it before this before this condition happened so you're already kind of deep into this work mm -hmm. yeah and so I think it is that work that foundation that I had that allowed me to tackle this incredibly painful unreal experience that mm. I don't wish on any human being because you know, I, I've come to understand that the nervous system has these different reactions, right? When there's a trauma, um, there's you can shut down. You can go in what's called dorsal, and you just shut down. Many people associate this with depression. It's a kind of a state of depression. And I mm -hmm. believe that if we are in a shutdown for long enough, we start to think I am a depressed person. But I have, through my experience and seeing people doing this kind of work, is that we there are ways to get out of this shut down mm, it doesn't need uh -huh. to define you and it's not permanent and so when i um and there's also the sympathetic you know when you go fight flight or freeze we all know that and that's uh -huh. when we feel threatened or we have to defend ourselves or you know there's danger or there's trauma and so that usually manifests in anxiety like uh -huh. i used to have panic panic attacks a lot when i was in a very anxious time in my life where i was going through a lot of difficulties and that's uh -huh. really helped for me i haven't had panic attacks panic attacks again and then there's this, you know, the happy state, the ventral state, mm -hmm. like you and I are in this state, you're calm, or like you're peace. <laughs> so mm -hmm. when I when I got this, and I had to stop being with my children, I couldn't care for my children, I couldn't eat, talk, move, you know, any, oh, wow. any, um, even like your hair doing this against will trigger yeah. an attack. And it's like, for me, the attacks lasted five to 20 minutes. So I was going through a lot of physical trauma and it mm -hmm. is through what I've learned around breathing 
and around acknowledging and saying, I'm going through something really difficult. This is not mm-hmm. normal. This is this is very traumatic for the body. And I was able to sit and, and not resist the pain that I was feeling, even emotionally, like missing out on mm-hmm. only not being able to work, not being able to be with your kids, not being able to brush your teeth. Wow. <laughs> four weeks it's gross and being at the effects of a medical system that was giving me a six-week wait to get an MRI not knowing Mm -hmm. what was going on so having that understanding what my body was going through was really helpful and then because I've done so much work around my previous trauma like my personal trauma uh through dance through ecstatic dance through the practice of dance Mm -hmm. where you where you get in your body, there's just so much value I find in getting in mm-hmm. your body, just embodying and, and not dissociating. And that's really hard to do. And it's not something mm-hmm. to be done alone or to figure out alone, like you need to be guided. Um, so I just talked a lot. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing that and just, you know, letting us into your world of you know, what you were, what you were dealing with and what was supportive. Um, I have a bunch of questions. Um, uh, I mean, obviously right now you're here. Uh, it sounds like you're working again, you're weaving, you're speaking to me. And so, um, obviously something shifted for you, you know, and I'm curious in general, this, um, the prog- the prognosis for your condition I mean, it sounded like drugs or surgery is the general medical path that you would choose between those those options or live with the pain. Is that generally the the prognosis in terms mm-hmm. of the medical view of your condition? I think the prognosis is actually live with the pain. And I'm on a few forums mm-hmm. with on Facebook. There's these forums for people who have trigeminal neuralgia. And I just see on a daily basis, people are in pain for decades. And so, yes, mm. one is live with the pain. I also turned to uh, uh, c- cannabis, like plant medicine, when things were really difficult. And that was really helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the medications and then there's surgery. There's different types of surgery. It's risky. So not everybody wants to do it. Some people have mm. a really compressed nerve. You know, there's, there's everything. Um, so it's kind of like, it's a mystery thing. And so mm. for me, I came to a point where I said, I don't want this to define my life. <laughs> I'm a very mm-hmm. active person. I have a yeah. lot of things that I want to do in the world. Um, I'm an artist. I just, I'm creating all the time. And I just thought, I, 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 I don't want to live like this, submit to the mm-hmm. thing. So the prognosis was just, we just have to wait and see what happens to you. And what is interesting is that I worked really hard on this um, embodiment stuff and on the nervous system stuff and then I also changed my diet and started doing an anti-inflammatory diet Um, I followed a lot of the food protocols of um, medical medium Anthony William and just in general so here's here's what I my experience with prognosis it's Mm -hmm. very easy for the medical field to say you have this and you're going to struggle with it your whole life yeah and I was like, no, this is okay. Maybe I will, but this is not going to define me. I cannot be Mm. on a bed 
like a zombie on medications that have side effects that bar me from working. And then you're, I'm, I'm in a single parent home household. So how, you know, already being a, a, a parent where there's only one of you at home with two children is already challenging. Plus add this. And then there's all the systemic barriers that women face just in the workplace in general. And the, you know, like hundreds of years of oppression around being a woman in this world. There's just so many challenges and then add on top of that. So um, I just really started shift doing shift in my mindset and saying, mm-hmm. I'm giving myself the summer to heal. Like this summer, I'm going to heal myself and I'm going to get rid of the medication. And I started and I just, I, I don't know, this might sound woo, but I just, I just willed myself into it. And I did all the supportive physical things. And I kept going every week to my coaching group calls where we do inner child meditations and we do Mm. nervous system regulation. And what I found through all this experience is that I believe that what I got is a, and no doctor has told me this, but is a result of burnout from stress Mm. and and unresolved trauma and intergenerational trauma that is living in my body that is not something that is it it is part of me but it is not who I am it is things that I have inherited right because I my grandparents are holocaust survivors my mom Mm. escaped my mom escaped communism in the late 60s I had to flee my country overnight because of kidnapping Mm. threats so there's just a lot of this backlog of trauma and trigeminal neuralgia for me hit. And I think a lot of people might be able to relate to this in terms of medical conditions or even emotional states. Uh, when I felt a lot of pressure because of the pandemic, you know, like yeah. we, we had to isolate. You're at home with two kids. You're supposed to work full time. I'm outnumbered. Mm-hmm. And I do have a community that supports me. My mom is my biggest point of support, my partner. But then remember that time where we couldn't see anybody. We all yeah. had to be in our own oh, homes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, it was just like, how is it? This is not normal. This is not how human beings live. You cannot work yeah. a full-time job on Zoom and parent two children by yourself and cook and provide emotional support for them and so that's why um so it's just like the system is an overload and it shuts down and for some people it manifests in addiction for some people in this for some people for me it manifested in this strange bizarre thing Mm -hmm. and so uh where was I going I where was I going (laughs) go back to your question (laughs) Oh, I don't, I don't know where I, I have so many new questions at this point. So uh, um, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll just reflect some of the things that are, that are uh, bubbling up for me in listening to you. And maybe that will jog where you're going, or maybe we'll go sure. somewhere new. I mean, sure. as we just, you know, are in this moment connecting um, and listening to what's alive and where we want to move. Um, one thing you had said, you know, you'd said, oh, maybe it's woo woo. You know, there's, and, and I just wanted to comment on that first about, you know, there's definitely spiritual beliefs around the spiritual reasons for things and whether or not we, we uh, ascribe to that or that aligns with us. I mean, I think 
research is also supporting those things and things like the biology of belief. And so I really noted, you know, this decision, you know, you'd said you'd done mindset work and then really how our thoughts, you know, are, are all interconnected to, to our emotions and, and so what we believe ends up being what our experience is. And you have a first you know, hand experience where you made a choice. There sounds like there was a lot of surrender around it and you made a, and you made a choice of what you wanted to make this mean. And that's also tying into, I had started, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Victor Frankl mm -hmm. and Man's Search for Meaning um, because I recently reread it and I had already been thinking about it. And then you're, you mentioned your grandparents being Holocaust survivors um, and, and thinking about, you know, if we have a, a sense of meaning for what we experience or our suffering, um, you know, it, it allows us to have a different relationship to it. Um, you know, this, this idea that if, if we have a purpose, we can, if we have a why we can live with almost mm -hmm. any how, and the, the people that have been able to make it through really challenging, and this is what Viktor Frankl found in his research with uh, Holocaust survivors, or even when he was, you know, because he was in a concentration camp and noticing the difference of those people that gave up and ended up uh, dying and the people that didn't give up is because they had, there was a, they, there was a reason and they got to choose their reason um, of, of what the reason for this suffering is. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for the challenge. Um, and it sounds like for you, there's, you know, there's, there's really a strong sense of meaning about how this is connected to intergenerational stuff, how you didn't use the word gift. It's kind of somehow, mm -hmm. sometimes how I do that when, you know, things are challenging, I ask myself, you know, how can this be a gift? Like, what is this pointing me to pay attention to something that I wasn't noticing before? And that gives me a sense of meaning and allows me to move through it in a much different way. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know, those are some of the things that were bubbling up in response to you. And I don't know if now you know where you're going to go or where you want to go in response to some of the things I said, if there's anything that you're inspired or thinking of. Yeah, I think it's this. Well, one, one thing is I definitely, when I was going through this, um, I did call to mind all of the other things that my ancestors have gone through to be like, mm. you know, they survived some really crazy things and hiding in forests and in prisons and losing their family in concentration camps. And um, I grew up in Colombia at a time where there was war and it was like the drug cartels and the height and all these Netflix shows about Colombia. That's kind of my childhood and my teenage years. Um, and so I remember more people reaching out to me and saying, everything happens for a reason or God will never test you beyond your, all that. And I just, I felt hesitant to define why this was happening at the moment. Yeah. Because it, um, it was such a spiritual experience. It really was a spiritual, I, I, it is the moments where I have been in the hardest of tests that I have felt stripped away from everything completely stripped away and I find that those are the moments where I'm most really connected to the divine in the purest way where my mm -hmm. where I can feel my soul my higher self um being like 
this is like my mission or this is mm. you know just feeling very very connected but it it doesn't always happen like there's when there's difficult times it sucks and it feels dark and yeah. all that and i think yeah. that as as what you said about victor franco and and, and um I didn't, I, I had inklings as to why this was happening. I didn't want to define mm. it. Um, but it is now that I look back, obviously, like everything in life, you look back and you're like, I know why this was a gift. And the thing mm -hmm. is that I'm not, I'm not uh, cured from it. Like I still, and this is where I was going. Mm. I don't know if this is going to come back. Most people that try okay. to just struggle all their lives with it. I was miraculously able to get off medication in November last year. So it's been mm. four, mo four months that I'm not, I'm without medication, without having to do the medical cannabis where I can work. I'm doing every, I'm back to life. And mm. but what's interesting is every once in a while, I will start getting pains. I will start getting, mm -hmm. and, and um, it's, it's become this really beautiful relationship with pain where it's like my body saying, you are doing too much. You are overworked. Mm. You are burning yourself out. And when we are not sleeping enough or any of these things where in today's world, it's so easy to burn out. And mm -hmm. especially as a mother, you have way more on top um, with yeah. young children. So it's become this alarm system. And now we're like, we're buddies. This is not my enemy mm. anymore. This is my, wow. I, I dance with my trigeminal, you know, there's, I even have like a color for it and a shape for it. And it's, mm. it's, it twinkles and it comes and says, I'm here. So a couple of weeks ago, I had a really busy week and I started getting pain. And I don't want to go back to that because I have mm -hmm. a lot to do in the world. And so I say, oh, it's an alarm bell. So I just stop everything. Always what I've learned in this last two years of this somatic work is oxygen mask first. I am on, I'm of no use to my children of the, or the world unless I have taken care of myself. And the reason why I got to many difficult places is because I didn't do that. I didn't take yeah. care of myself first. I didn't do my morning and my nighttime rituals and all of this. So when it comes and it tells me, it says, I'm here, I'm here. I just stop. I put an emergency break. Mm -hmm. And we tend to think like, oh no, the world's going to fall apart if I cancel mm -hmm. this meeting or, and things don't, I had to stop life for eight months. And mm -hmm. it wasn't the end of the world. It was actually amazing because I got to rest in ways that I never did. Mm. And, and people around me had to raise up and like rise up to the occasion and help and help with my children. And I had people all over the world saying prayers for me and sending food and sending this. And so there's, there's also this beautiful victory and blessings in these crises um yeah and and what i'm hearing is just um like a deep trust in the wisdom of your body you know so often when something is goes wrong or we have illness or injury um there can tend to be a fighting of it and not wanting it of thinking it's in the way um and i hear you know you really getting that you, you know your body is sending you messages. And, you know, one of the things that I think is really critical about somatic work, about paying attention to our body is that the more we do it, um, the more we are in practice in our day-to-day -day of 
attending to what we're experiencing, being tuned in, having awareness, um, those, those signals don't necessarily need to be as loud. You know, our, you know, when we're not listening, not listening, not listening, this is when more severe crises in our bodies. And that's often, you know, people, like, as you said, you know, just ignore it, ignore it, ignore it until it gets so loud that our body's like, you can't ignore me anymore. And so I'm curious, you know, um, you're, you've done, you know, you know, you'd been doing somatic work before for quite some time. And then you've been doing this really intense work this past two years. And it sounds like you're in this place now of, um, of really being aware of like, oh, this is a message. And I'm wondering, um, have you noticed that maybe those messages don't need to be as loud or intense or may, or are they still like, I'm just wondering what your relationship is of like, when you start tuning in and get the signal that you need to slow down or that there's something else that your body's asking for in that moment. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause there's like a double side to that. One is the, when the signals come in, it's very easy to go back into the trauma of it. Like, mm. and I've had those moments where I feel and I, and I just, I might break down crying, which is okay. And be like, I don't want to go there again. And I freak out. Um, but because of this, what I've learned, I just, um, they aren't as loud. Yeah, they are, mm. they are, they are quieter and more subtle because I have changed my life around because I have, I have reoriented my life to living with oxygen mask first. So for mm. example, exercise is something that helps my condition helps everybody <laughs> but mm -hmm. it is um because stress will increase my pain and what decreases yeah. stress movement proper sleep exercise proper health all of these things so um the signals are less because i'm listening the signals are less intense because i'm listening and and honoring the time and space that i need and my my i wanted to mention this this thing about ignoring or saying, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'll be okay. I'll just keep going. I'll just mm -hmm. keep going. I'll just keep going. Mm -hmm. and, you know, my, my coach always says what, what, what you resist persists. So mm -hmm. if I, um, whatever situation, and I, I'm trying to think of an example, uh, like I was in a, a, a relationship, like in my marriage where things were very toxic and there were many, um, it was just a codependent, relationship and um, I mean I'm not going to go into details with it here but um, there were a lot of times that I should have said no or that you know just put boundaries of different sorts and um, and I didn't and it's just like the lesson is there you know there's mm -hmm. the less you like the universe is asking you to learn something and you keep resisting and and many times we resist because we're afraid to feel the pain. I don't want to feel that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. uh, sit here in my tears. I don't want to, but I have found the most cathartic moments are when I will sit, you know, let's say mm -hmm. something triggers me. Like, let's say there's a, there's an experience because I, uh, I have like experiences around um, being sexually assaulted. And so let's say I will watch something or someone will say a comment, um, about sexual abuse of some sort or physical abuse and that will trigger mm -hmm. me because I have that lived experience and so I 
the only way out is of that trigger that basically puts like for me I can be 39 years old but I will revert to my old age my younger age when I was experiencing that right mm -hmm. and the only way that I can come out of that and snap into it and get back into life is by sitting with that younger version of myself and just sitting in that pain and so that's like the pain of a trauma but it works the same with the trigeminal neuralgia pain I had to sit with it and say okay you're here there's a reason why you're here to understand the context of the situation and and allow and listen to that inner child or that younger version of myself and and say um what is it that you want to tell me and there's usually mm. a message and it becomes this conversation of like i'm i am feeling really threatened right now i am afraid i am I don't have control. I feel like uh, whatever the emotions are and you just sit mm -hmm. with it <clears throat> and you actually live that in your body instead of dissociating. <clears throat> and, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> and so, um, and once, once you listen, it's like a child. It's like if your child is there saying, mama, 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 I want this, I want this, I want this. And you're ignoring the child and you're ignoring it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We know like a child cannot be ignored if they want food. They need to be fed. So this is the same thing. The pain yeah. wants attention. The pain, the, the, the crisis wants you to turn around and say, what is it? And it will tell you. So, you know, in that moment, I usually get a message from my younger self that says, I need this. And then I will give that younger self some advice and say, well, mm. um, you know, I'm alone. If the message is I'm alone and I'm afraid, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to be alone. And the message will be many times, you're not alone. I am here. You will never mm. be alone because I am here. And so then this younger and current self kind of merge and there's actually mm. neural pathways that form. And that, so the more that I started reconnecting with my traumatized self, <laughs> mm -hmm. the more I've been doing that over the years, I find that the messages have become quieter because yeah. you no longer, you're no longer asleep. When you're asleep, there need, like if you're in deep, deep sleep, then you need really loud noises to wake you up. And yeah. that's how I feel. Like you just, yeah. whatever the shock is, it will do it because the, it's even a survival thing. The body, the physical body is saying, there's a lion, there's a tiger, wake up, wake up, wake up. Yeah. 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 And I, I thank you for all of this. And I, it is really pointing to why I'm so passionate about making somatic awareness more accessible to have ways of, you know, relearning how to be tuned into our bodies because when um, you know, cause we, I, I wasn't growing up, I wasn't um, taught or um, even given an idea that it that it's important, if anything, I should not listen to my body and I should listen mm -hmm. to authority or I don't know what I need to eat, my parents know what I need to eat or whatever it is. And so having having the tools so that we can start to listen, that we can start to be with what we're experiencing in our bodies so that it doesn't need to get so loud, traumatic and painful as it often does. And I really believe the more that we start having these practices and they can be, they can be small practices. They can be, um, 
things that we just weave into our lives to start to um, to have our more of our attention just touching lightly throughout our day on what we're experiencing so we can listen to those messages so we can do it ourselves and then sometimes you know when we when there's really large things it it really helps to have a professional help hold space and help guide us um, uh, in some of that uh, some of the trauma that we have um, and so um, before we finish I, I I'd love to hear um, if you have um, tips or practices um, to offer our audience of things that you use that work for you you know how do you touch into or tune into the experience of your body what supported you in that mm -hmm. well uh, as I said I took up weaving and I'm not telling everyone to go weave now <laughs> but mm. when I couldn't look at screens for too long um, I was too nauseous from the medication and all that I took up um, weaving it's something I've always wanted to do um, it feels very ancestral for me at a very deep level um, I feel mm. connected to it through like my Colombian roots but also um, the, the practice of doing things with your hands is uh, mm. very good for the nervous system. So whatever, that that's one little tiny thing. Um, and it's not about, oh, I'm not an artist or I'm not creative. Everyone has the capacity to work with their hands. I mean, mm -hmm. physically, if you're physically able to, right? Um, weaving, there's something very magical around knots, something very satisfying biologically mm. to the brain and like creating and seeing something grow. And so there's been this a fascination for me around then the neuroplasticity coming together with the creation of knots and it's just it I, so i knotted i i not i weave at night it just calms me so some of the things that have helped mm. me with this embodiment work is um definitely what you and i have in common ecstatic dance and movement has been essential i've worked through a lot of my previous trauma with that um being uh, allowing your your body to move it's not about looking like a dancer being like a dancer um sometimes obviously if your city provides it it's amazing sometimes now nowadays there's online spaces where you can do it um mm -hmm. so movement whether it's with dance and music uh where you just again you sit with whatever is there and you allow your body to respond to it you don't think about it it's kind of like you 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 surrender um, mm -hmm. That kind of movement really helps me if that's not available exercise, fit, like fitness. Um, and then I also think that what really has helped this somatic journey is, um, and first, I, I forgot to clarify at the beginning, I'm not a somatic therapist. <laughs> and I'm not, uh, I'm mostly guided by uh, my, my coach, Dr. Nima Hermani, who's taught me a lot about this, and I work with a few others. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, also, daily rituals for is really important. So I have morning and nighttime rituals, and they mm -hmm. uh, they include breathing and meditation. And we all know the effects of meditation and breathing, and journaling, um, and reading, and doing this morning and night. Um, and it doesn't have to be fancy; it could just be five minutes. But the the consistency of just stopping and saying, "I need to take care of myself first before I can go out in the world and do something. And just um, checking in with that 
inner child on a regular basis. And I say child, but it can be like your 20 year old. It can be your two year old. It can be your yourself in the womb of your mother. I've had those experiences too, or it could be you last year, but just stopping and saying, you know, I'm feeling anxious. What is this anxiety? Stop. Do certain breathing practices. What is my body telling it? Feeling, feeling it, giving it five minutes to just sit. And, and it's amazing. It's actually a muscle to build. It's not something that you just yeah. get overnight. It's like, it takes, it takes, yeah. um, Dr. Shafali speaks about it taking two years mm-hmm. for this kind of work to sink in and become that. And I'm coming up into two years of doing this. And so now when I am triggered in the world by news, by people, by whatever it is that happens, mm-hmm. I notice that my gap between a fallout or an anxiety attack or this and and getting into a regulated state has shortened so it's no longer a day two weeks months years it was years for me mm-hmm. I was in shutdown for years I had so much trauma yeah. around it and so now it's just shortened because it's been this muscle that I've been building yeah and so I guess anyone who engages in this kind of work I would say like know that it's gonna take it's okay. And, and, and if you say, I'm not doing it right, I suck at this, it's not working. That's actually what you need to listen to. Like, what is mm. that part of yourself that's saying, I can't do it? Is it your perfectionist? Okay, it's your perfectionist. Where does that come from? What happened in childhood that made you feel this? And then go back to that moment and live it in your body. Mm-hmm. Um, the more we actually allow that space. And as I said, it doesn't have to be a fancy one hour workshop where you're doing this, it can just be yeah like a five minute break and your lot you can afford a five minute stop pause a sacred pause for five minutes yeah yeah exactly and that's that's what I think is really important you know we are we are collections of patterns of movement you know the way we move for life is all these patterns that we've reinforced and reinforced and reinforced um and it's wonderful that we can create patterns of movement and not have to attend to them. Otherwise we'd have to think about what we're doing every second, you know, like we'd have to be aware of what's happening in our body every time we rode a bicycle, but there's Mm. wisdom in the body that we create these patterns and then we don't have to attend to them anymore. And then there's this risk that some of the patterns start being harmful for us. And when we don't attend to them, then we lose that choice. And so Mm. what you're pointing to in your experience is that you know, having this pain has had you step back and look at some of those patterns of movement and decide I'm going to create new patterns. And that's what I love. And this is why I'm always inviting my guests to share the simple ways, because I think, you know, it is a practice. We, we reinforce and reinforce and reinforce whatever the patterns are. And if we reinforce, you know, and we can create connections that, you know, every time I open my computer, I just take a breath and feel my Mm -hmm. seat you know, just a simple pattern like that, you know, if we practice practice and it doesn't really take anything, it just, except for remembering, um, then we reinforce that new pattern. And, uh, and that's what you've been doing. And I love the, just the, the weaving. Um, oh, and one thing I wanted to just note for our audience who might not know what ecstatic dance is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's this whole broader field with the, uh, you know, some guidance and practices and generally, you know, it's, it's these spaces where um, we go to dance 
Um, and, um, and they're with the intention of listening to how our body wants to move, of not following any specific steps, um, of having the space, you know, kind of to dance as if no one's watching sort of that kind of idea where we get to um, not be expected to move in a certain way and start to listen to how our body wants to move and practice that, practice that listening and find that our, you know, uh, start to embrace our own unique self-expression. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you'd want to stay around with static dance. Um, well, it's just more about the, the, when you said the example of, I'm going to sit at my computer and feel my chair. Um, it, this stuff isn't, it's simple <laughs> and it's, it's, it's okay. It's not, it's accessible is what I'm saying. I remember when I started ecstatic dance, I was completely, my body was shut down from like experiencing violence and crazy sexual stuff and war and all these things. And it was, you know, sometimes I would find myself on the dance floor. Sometimes I even don't want to call it dance because it's just to me, it's about moving as a human being. And I would do, I would find one pattern and it was, could be just as simple as what I'm doing right now. If you're watching, but if you're not, it's like moving my arms and my hands in a circular motion over and over. And by doing that, it's like, there was a bit of a trance that was generated. And I would think about, I would embody the traumatic moment. So let's say there was a violent moment and I would actually sit in that moment and I would keep repeating this movement. And somehow it was soothing. It was like, Mm -hmm. it was, it felt mothering. It was like, yes, this is happening. I'm happening. And so when I, when we say ecstatic dance, I don't like, I, I hope that people don't feel intimidated and say, I'm not a dancer. Mm. I can't do this because Mm -hmm. it's about, it's um, like when you have a baby and you cradle it, you're doing ecstatic dance with your baby. You know, it's just about being Mm -hmm. focused in the moment with your body and, and soothing the broken parts and also finding your voice and creativity that mm-hmm. I've found personalities in me on the dance floor that I didn't know I had or I've reinforced my you know sometimes I'll like imagine I'm this warrior <laughs> and you know I sometimes I need warrior energy to tackle something in life mm-hmm. so I'll just you know I'll use my body and say okay here's a creative space where there's no judgment where I can put my warrior stance and just pretend I'm this warrior and I'll make up a story. And then I leave and the next day I'm able to sit in a meeting that's difficult because I've mm. brought that energy into my body to say, I can fight, I am strong, I can do things in the world. Um, and I don't know if we can do that if we're always sitting on a couch and not engaging with our bodies that way. Like we lose that dimen- those dimensions of our life. Yeah feeling what it really feels like and then creating new patterns of movement. Yeah. That then we can bring into the rest of our lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much for your vulnerability, um, for your sharing, for being willing to talk to me today and, uh, and share some of what you've gone through what has supported you. Um, there's a lot in me that really, that I felt really moved by your mm-hmm. sharing. And so I'm really grateful to have had this time to connect with you um, and get to know you more and, uh, and to, to 
have you speak, speak some of your experience into this space. Yeah, I'm so grateful for you for asking. <laughs> mm. You know, I just, you don't, you know, I always think when people ask about my experience, I'm like, ah, like everybody goes through things. I'm not the only one that's been through difficult things. But at the same time, um, I've been through a lot of crazy things and I'm over, I've overcome them and I'm at a place where I can say I'm, I'm proud of how far I've come and I want to celebrate that. And, and most importantly, I want to, if anything I say can help other people through their things, that's, that's, I mean, that's what we're here, like serving others and, and our stories affect healing and affecting others is just such a gift, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for opening this space and and like your podcast and all the stories that you're telling. It's um, I know you're gonna have more guests and I'm sure it's gonna be more and more. Um, what is it like a gift for for people? Mm. 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 Yeah, I'm already seeing how how it is. Um, for me, um, for the few people that have found it so far, and uh, mm. and and for the guests too, who who you know get to be witnessed and get a space to share, right? So yeah. important, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, thanks so much, Lala. Yeah. Thank you, Twyla. Thank you for tuning in to Soma Ing. I hope you enjoyed this episode and are moving forward with new tools to be aware of the experience in your body and knowledge of how that can support what matters to you. Somaing episodes are also available in video format on YouTube by searching Somaing. I'm Dr. Twyla, your host, and until next time, remember, you can Soma anytime and anywhere. <laughs>